This is KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. The opinions expressed on the show are not necessarily those of the regents of the University of California nor the management of coming of KUCI. Uh, coming up subversely here with Dan Sung. Today we're going to be talking with a director and an actor of a new film. Uh, stay tuned. Hi, welcome to Subversely here on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. Uh, today we're going to be talking uh, to a director and an actor in a new uh, film that just opened on Friday. Uh, and uh, the director is Jessica Yu and the actor is uh, Jimmy Tsai. Uh, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Oh, yes, great. Absolutely. Thank you for having us here. Yeah, um, uh, Jessica... Uh, I uh I was I had seen one of your films on POV uh your um really exquisite um documentary on uh Henry Dodger. Oh, thank you. Yeah, and actually a student recommended it to me <laughs> and then we ended it up I'm a librarian so we ended up getting it uh in the library actually getting oh, the DVD. So and we have a lot of books uh, actually a few books about about him. So uh how did you make the shift uh I know your experience has been with documentary films. This is your first feature film. That's that's right. Uh, well, actually, um, yeah, it was you know it was a shift in terms of the scope of production. But because I've had experience working on scripted stuff on episodic TV, at least I had some training. Um, but I think the thing that prepared me the most was just uh, working on the script with Jimmy, because there was a chance to talk out you know all the scenes and sort of do a lot of the the work beforehand. And the um, film, and the film, I I should say, is uh, Ping Pong uh, Playa. Pla- yeah, Ping Pong Playa. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> and it just opened uh, Friday at uh, the town center across from UCI, um, the um, Edwards uh, Rigo Edwards Theater, uh, just across the street from UCI. Yeah, and yes, and it is very different. I mean, it's a it's a comedy, um, sort of an Asian American themed comedy, and uh, you know, sort of. Um, a film that we we consciously wanted to to do um, and just have it be fun. So it was, uh, it, yeah, you know, I mean, most documentaries are quite serious. <laughs> a lot of Asian American <laughs> films are quite serious, uh, but we wanted to do something uh, a little bit um, different. Uh, Jimmy, uh, in the film, you uh, you got upset because uh, they announced your name as Wang. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I, I really um, empathize with you because my name is Zhang, uh, T S A N G, and, and they <laughs> and always say, Tang, right? uh, they say Sang or they say Sang or something. I don't know what they say. And I always <laughs> try to correct them, and they cannot pronounce it. Zhang, <laughs> Zhang. Yeah, you know that actually, uh, you know, is kind of from a true life experience. Also, you know, a lot of you know Chinese, you know, we get that, and I mean, especially also like with my name, I have, you know, I get the similar problems as yeah. you do. You know, my last name is Tsai, but I get everything from Tsai to Tai to Tasi to all sorts of things. And so, you know, we just wanted to educate the audience a little bit as far as proper, you know, Chinese surname pronunciation. <laughs> yeah, one time the worst thing was the Frontiers magazine. I wrote an article, a letter. Uh, complaining, or uh, somebody wrote a letter complaining about something I wrote there, and they put the headline uh, "Sang." They said "Sang" uh, sings "Zhang," uh, "Zhang," but they pronounce it "Sang." Sing, yeah. Sings a different tune. So, <laughs> oh, that's <terrible>. <laughs> so that's very terrible. You know, they totally mangled my name. No oh, man. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I always consider.
consider it uh, a minor victory when, um, for example, broadcasters, uh, you know, the pitcher, the Taiwanese pitcher for the New York Yankees, when they correctly pronounce his name and say Wang Tianming instead of Wang Qian, you know, Ming or whatever they would pronounce. So you should come to yeah. the graduation at UCI. The the professors always mangle the names of the graduates. <laughs> <laughs> That's terrible. We should protest. <laughs> well, the thing is, you know, we're we're uh, you know, even though those are. Um, you know, real things that we complain about. We also wanted to use it in the film as a way to sort of um, poke fun at the characters, like hypersensitivity. Yes, definitely. To, uh, you know, perceived racial slights right and left. And so, you know, that was something that became uh, um, a little exaggerated just for, for fun. Yeah, you actually, in the film, you actually point, uh, poke fun at uh, Asian-American stereotypes within the Asian-American community as well as uh, the mainstream community. That's that's right. Well, I think um, you know we felt that uh, if we could sort of poke fun at ourselves, then we could uh, have some license to poke fun at other things, and uh, and also you know that since a lot of the comedy is just is really rooted in this character of of C Dub, and and you know uh, Jimmy, you should probably describe C Dub, but you know he's he's kind of obnoxious, and part of it is that he. Uh, you know, uses his Asian American identity as a bludgeon and a shield. Like he knows more. You know, he can he can say whatever he wants about Asian Americans, but you know, if you make any generalizations, he will jump down your throat. So, um, but maybe I don't know, if Jimmy, maybe you could talk about the origins of uh, C Dub and, and the series. Yeah, for I guess for the listeners who who don't know about the movie yet, you know, C Dub is this kind of you know man child who's a little bit of a slacker, still lives at home with his parents, and you know he had pipe dreams of playing the NBA when you know one day, but it's actually you know of course not very realistic, and uh, you know he he has a little bit of an attitude and a little bit of a swagger, um, and his family obviously runs a, a ping-pong store, and they're basically a ping-pong dynasty, and he does not want to have any part of ping-pong <laughs> since it's perceived as such a, you know, well, let's just say um, it's one of the, the fringe sports. And it's also a stereotype, right? I mean, a lot of Asians play ping-pong. <laughs> That's correct, yeah. yeah. He, you know, he had dreams of being the first Chinese-American player in the NBA, and uh, so ping-pong does not really fit in with that image anywhere. So. I, I remember when the when China had a rapprochement with the U.S. and they uh, sent a ping-pong team uh, to, to Michigan, and I was a student at Michigan then. And oh, wow, ping-pong diplomacy? Yeah, that was a long yeah, time yeah. ago. <laughs> but uh, was, uh, I mean, you don't see that much of ping-pong. In the, I mean, you don't hear that much about ping-pong in, in the West Coast, do you? Uh, or is it? Do you think that's a lot of it? I don't know. Or is that more? Is it more a West Coast thing than an East Coast thing, or what? I'm, oh well, I think sure. probably. You know, yeah. I mean, it's definitely a suburban thing in terms ah. of you think about you know American experience with ping pong. You know, everyone having a table in their garage over one summer that then would warp, and you know that they probably wouldn't play it much again. Um, so, like, there's that re- recreational American experience. But of course, in terms of you know, the, the, the very high ranks, it, it's a sport that takes uh, a lot of skill to be able to be good at. So I kind of I think that that's an interesting dynamic to explore. But, yeah, I mean, you know, in the Olympics, it gets some coverage, but during the year, it's maybe on, you know, ESPN 4 or something like that. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's not exactly a marquee sport um, in the American eye in that way. How yeah, did you have to yeah, learn? 
great thing about um, ping pong is that, you know, it really is this kind of, you know, universal thing that it seems like every single person, you know, no matter what walk of life you're from or what age you are, what ethnicity you are, it, everyone has a ping pong story. And then it's just strange that, you know, in, in the U.S., you know, ping pong has, has kind of been, like, relegated to, you know, this, like, like I was saying, like a fringe sport that's, you know, not treated very seriously, you know, in terms of the, the mainstream audience. Um, but if you're, like, you know, in Europe or Asia, yeah. you know, table tennis is very serious. And, you know, in, in China, you know, the, the top uh, ping pong players are, are probably treated like, you know, our NBA stars are here in the States. Uh, you had to learn professional ping pong, learn from a professional then. Uh, yes, yeah. Actually, I hadn't played ping pong um, since uh, fifth or sixth grade, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> but luckily, you know, enough. We actually uh, I found a uh, husband and wife coaching team, Wei Wong and Diego Schaff. Wei is actually um, a U.S. Olympic Hall of Famer and former U.S. Um, team ping pong team player. Wow. And um, I trained with them actually for six months uh, prior to filming. And every single day, at the very least, I played one hour of table tennis. Sometimes as many as six or seven hours, wow. and yeah, it was either, you know, going to the club and playing with the club players or getting individual instruction from Way and Diego or also training in the garage with this thing called the ball robot, which is essentially, huh. you know, the, the, yeah. the ping pong equivalent of a tennis ball tennis, machine, except yeah. it fires smaller ping pong balls. <laughs> the, uh, in the film, you show your kind of competition with this British guy uh, who weighs uh, Union Jack and stuff. Um, <laughs> Is, is do the Brits really claim that they invented ping pong? <laughs> well, well, actually, we think that they probably did. <laughs> our theory of the Ch oh, oh, sorry, um, our, our theory of the Chinese inventing uh, ping pong was somewhat based on uh, a, a theory. <laughs> I don't know; it might be a little more of a tenuous theory, but um, you know, we were sort of playing on this idea that um, you know how a lot of uh, Asians like to say, you know, the Chinese invented everything, so it was kind of coming out of that. And then, uh, and then these guys, you know, I should say that the rivals, um, they're not even British. They, they would like to be British, so it's sort of they've got an Anglophile thing going on, which is, we thought would be uh, would be fun to explore. But right, uh, right, they're, they're American or what? Um, I guess. Yeah, they're from Encino. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, and so. Um, did you both work on the script then? You wrote both yeah. co-wrote it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We worked on it together for um, about eight months or so, and um, you know, got it into shape, and uh, and then went to production. We um, we shot the film in twenty days, which is is pretty short. It was kind of a necessity, but it was uh, um, but it was nice, and I think we were well prepared, and uh, you know, filmed mostly around the um, LA area. What what did what was the genesis of this film? How did it come about? Well, the film uh, came about because um, it's kind of a um, several different things. But I had uh, in working on in the realms of the unreal that documentary you mentioned. Yeah. Um, I had worked with uh, Cherry Sky Films, um, that's the production company for this film, and I'd really hit it off with um, Joan Huang and Jeff Guo, who started the company, and then also uh, met Jimmy. At the time, although Jimmy, I knew as the production accountant for Cherry Sky Films, uh -huh. and um, that's what he was, you know, and did up to very recently. And, uh, you know, it was only after seeing these um, commercials that he had made, and it was at the short film scre screening. They, at the end, there were these sort of 
um, you know, mock commercials for a, a sportswear company called Venom Sportswear and featured this, this guy, C-Dub, and he's kind of just riffing on all these different things. And I just thought it was a, such a hilarious, really different character. And I always thought, God, it would be so great to do something with these. And I, I remember I had, like, a DVD, and I would go and show people, but, you know, there wasn't really anything at the time. And then, uh, you know, a couple of years later, they um, approached me and said, hey, you know, we should work on something together. And Joan had the idea of making a, a comedy centered on ping pong. And then I thought, oh, it would be so great if we could take that character feed out there. And I have to say, when I saw um, those spots, I didn't recognize Jimmy, and I already knew Jimmy. So that sort of convinced me that he could um, pull off the role. <laughs> and so that's how it started. But the funny thing is that we were working on the script for about a month, and uh, and I said something like, well, you know, um, you're going to – don't worry about the, the revisions when we start shooting because you're going to be so busy. And Jimmy stops, and he looks at me and he's like, what are you talking about? And I said, well, because you're in, like, every scene. And he said, I- I'm playing C-Dub? Well, he had no idea that, of course, I assumed he was going to do it. And I think he was thinking, well, we'll get, like, a real actor. Um, so it was kind of funny. But there's not that many, um, you know, accountant-turned-movie-star stories out there. So maybe that would be a good uh, – you know, if Jimmy wants to sell his life rights, maybe there could be something there. A basketball wannabe, too. <laughs> yeah. Yes, you know, there's, yes. there's a little bit of, uh, you know, um, uh, truth in, in every other scene in the movie. Actually, I thought, I, I thought you're tall enough. I mean, I thought you were pretty tall in the movie. So I thought yeah. you, could be a, you could be a, a basketball player. <laughs> I, I, I am actually yeah, six one. I You know, I could certainly use a few more, you know, inches uh, in order to try to compete in the NBA. But, um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, was it drawn from experience, a lot of the the jokes and the digs uh, and the Asian-American kind of poking fun at the Asian-American stereotypes? Probably more than you, you could imagine. <laughs> well, certainly a lot of stuff with, with Jimmy's characters is taken from me in real life. I mean, um, so Jimmy, did you want to talk about your theory about the NBA player? Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah. Well, um, I mean, just uh, real quick, yeah, a lot of those experiences, actually not only mine, but also experiences of, um, from Jessica's own, own life, too, um, growing up. But, um, you know, in terms of, yeah, the kind of inspiration from the character, I mean, you know, I, I definitely have this, uh, this theory, basically, that, um, you know, the first Chinese-American player in the NBA actually did exist already at one point, but the reason he actually never succeeded uh, to be in the NBA, um, and he had the natural physiology, the talent, you know, the skill and everything, and the reason he didn't make it in is because his parents were too busy, you know, forcing him to play the piano and the violin and hit the books and study for the SAT instead of playing basketball. And so, you know, he never realized his ultimate, you know, potential as a basketball player. And, you know, to this day now, instead of being in the NBA, this guy is probably... Yeah, I don't know, an accountant or working in IT or something like that. So, but yeah, it was like you know that kind of idea that you know, and again, you know, I played a lot of basketball when I was a kid, and you know, it was these type of experiences that informed the character. I think that was great scene in the movie where you have the kids uh, begging uh, you to um, train them to play ping pong because otherwise they have would have to, you know, uh, play you know play piano or. Or take t- join the boys' choir or whatever. <laughs> take S- pre-SAT, even though he's like in fourth grade or whatever. <laughs> this is the thing. I, I, probably a good two-thirds of those, the things on that list, Jimmy actually had to do. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. A lot of pain of, in there. 
<laughs> it's one of those things that, you know, like, yeah, like, you know, for anyone who's, you know, been through Chinese school, you know, usually you have, you know, the first two hours are all, you know, language and teaching, you know, Chinese. And then usually there's like a third period elective or something like that where, yeah, you learn, you know, like martial arts or you learn, you know, Malpi, which is like calligraphy or, you know, origami or something like that. And it's always, you know, slightly, you know, <laughs> not as cool of a skill, you know, to be advertised as when you're an adult. So you had to go to Chinese school? Yes, yeah, actually, yeah. Um, actually, both uh, at Jessica also <laughs> Chinese school, too, as a child. Um, yeah, I went to Chinese school years, years and years and years when I was a kid. But then, you know, it, it's, it's always one of those things because, you know, like, uh, you know, being Chinese-American, you know, you have to go to regular school from Monday to Friday, and then, you know, you're forced to go to school again on Saturday, and, you know, kids are always just like, oh, man, i got to go to school on Saturday. And so you never really took it seriously. And then, you know, uh, you know, of course, later on in life, then, you know, like in college, I'm like, oh, I, I really did learn Chinese better. And so, you know, I, I took some more classes in college. And also, even after graduating, I, you know, I went back um, to, to go to Chinese school just to, you know, brush up more on my language skills. So, so you, Jimmy, as yeah. an adult, was going to Chinese school in a class of, like, 11-year-old kids. So <laughs> That's true. Taken from life. This was learning. True. This was the studying uh, Mandarin? Yes, that's correct. Yeah, studying Mandarin. Yeah. And uh, is your uh, Jessica? Is your family also Mandarin speaking? Well, actually, because um, I actually don't speak Chinese, um, my family <laughs> is, it's mixed. My my on my uh, father's side, uh, my family is from Shanghai, but yeah. in, on my mother's side, we're like fifth generation Californian ah. Cantonese. So at home, we only spoke English, and and all my grandparents spoke English. So uh, I kind of skipped out. That's why also Chinese school was so tough because everyone else could already speak Chinese, and I was like hiding in the back with my sister <laughs> and brother, saying, "Just don't call on us." Yeah, yeah. yeah. The uh, I think that the film really is uh, able to pierce this model minority myth, you know, the <laughs> stereotype that uh, you know all these Asians, uh, you know, are so superior and all this, and that you know that we uh, succeed in everything, and it's. It looks at the pressure put on these kids, especially. Yeah, well, you know, one thing that's interesting um, that we wanted to get into is that Sita, uh, our main character, his brother is kind of like the golden boy, you know, who um, does everything right, you know, sort of clean cut and is a doctor and everything. But he's not perfect either. So I think that we wanted to sort of play up the dynamic that, um, A, that, you know, his, his younger brother can just bring him down to his level and in the argument, you know, that he hasn't mastered all that. But also, you know, just because you go through and you do all those things that make you a good boy, it's just not going to be something that's going to solve your life for you. And uh, the character is played by... Uh, 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 Roger Fan. Yeah, Roger Fan, sorry. And uh, is that... Um, is he... Um, was it hard getting him to play? Or, or, you, he was in other films that uh, the production oh, company yeah. put out, right? Yeah, Roger's... Yeah, Roger's uh, you know, most people probably know him um, from Better Luck Tomorrow. Right. But uh, he was also um, the lead in Finishing the Game, which is uh, Justin Lin's film that he did with Trey Sky uh, a couple of years ago. And then, um, well, Jimmy, you want to talk about getting Roger? Cause, or what, yeah. You want Roger? <laughs> yeah, actually, um, yeah, Roger and I are actually pretty good friends. And I remember, yeah, early on after, uh, you know, we had this discussion that I, I would play C-Dub. I, you know, immediately, you know, first thing in my, my head was like, you know, see that's older brother, there's only one person for the job, and we've got to get Roger Fan. Um, and, you know, one of the reasons, obviously, is that, you know, Roger's a very, very talented actor, but on top of that, you know, we definitely wanted to keep it real as far as, you know, the casting process. Um, 
and I've known that, you know, Roger speaks, you know, Mandarin, and he's also, you know, as tall as I am. And, you know, because that was also one of the, um, I guess, pet peeves that we, we all had in terms of uh, casting when you cast for, you know, Asians or Chinese, is that, you know, a lot of, you know, producers or execs in Hollywood, you know, when, they, when it comes to casting a project and, you know, putting together something like siblings or family, they... <laughs> they, they subscribe to this theory that all Chinese people look alike, and they just cast whoever as brothers. You know, like I remember a, a TV series <laughs> where, you know, one brother was, you know, tall and handsome and, you know, spoke very fluent English, you know, and was, you know, like an uh, athletic build. And then the younger brother was, you know, like short, stout, didn't look a lick alike him, spoke with a really heavy accent. And it was just ridiculous, you know, that, you know, they, they don't even try a little bit to get at least some kind of, you know, consistency or some kind of reality, you know, in terms of the, that, that casting process. And so I was like, you know, we, we definitely have to keep it real. And I knew that Rob, you know, definitely fit the bill as far as, you know, being able to, you know, conceivably pass as my older brother. And so that's how that all happened. And, you know, since we were really good friends, you know, we had a total blast uh, doing the film and it was just a lot of fun. Yeah, Roger's awesome. Did he, uh, did you, did you, you didn't want to show him in a hospital or something, huh? Or, or in a clinic or whatever. There's no no pictures of him as a doctor, right? No no scenes. I mean, right. Yeah, it's mostly um, the the his parents uh, friends, you know, um, always buzzing about that he's the unmarried doctor. Oh yeah 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> and he tries to pick up on the the, the kid's um, uh, mother, right? Uh, uh, sister, 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 yeah. sister yeah. not mother, sister. Yeah. Right. And. Uh, and that that kid is from Orange County, uh, incidentally, uh, Andrew Vo. Oh yeah, uh, uh, plays Felix in the film, and he is um, Jimmy's uh, or C Dub's um, buddy in the film. Disciple. Disciple, uh, right? <laughs> yeah. No, I think he's your peer, actually. But uh, <laughs> wait a minute. <laughs> how did how did you find him? <laughs> how oh, did, how did, how? well, we had a great uh, casting director, Jason Wood. Um, you know, who was really trying to help us because there really isn't a big pool of um, Asian, young Asian American actors out there. Um, I, don't, I still think it's one of those things that a lot of Asian American uh, parents don't really push their kids towards, and, you know, with good reason. But <laughs> we were very, very lucky to have uh, <clears throat> Andrew and then our other two main kids, Javin Reed and Kevin Chung, come in yeah. really at the last minute. But Andrew, you know, I mean, he's <clears throat> worked quite a lot for being so young, and uh, he's uh, just... You know, he's got this personality that just bounces out of him, and um, and you know, he and Jimmy got along great, and uh, you know, you just didn't. And he's always super prepared, uh, so we were very, very. And I don't know what we would have done when he came in. We were just like, well, that's Felix, you know, and that's the best thing with a kid actors when you feel that their personality really fits the um, yeah the character already, you know. Uh huh. Uh-huh. So you don't have to do much, uh, yeah, with him. Well, yeah, at least you know that his energy will be there. And, um, you know, the, the toughest thing, I think, with kids is when you start doing a lot of takes because, you know, then just like any actor, but more so with kids, they get very, uh, um, you know, then they tend to just sort of go through the motions a little bit. You know, the spontaneity of the kids is really mm-hmm. what you want. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, I think he's brilliant in the, in, the, in, the, in the film. And he just looks so... Um so cute, too. Yeah. Well, you know, now, of course, his voice has changed, and, you know, he's grown six inches or something in, in a year. I mean, you know how it is with kids, so yeah. probably, uh, you know, we, again, we were lucky to get him at that time in his life as well. And the, uh, in terms of the, um, 
the sister, I th- I thought it was quite interesting that you had her uh, as an Asian American's uh, graduate. Was it graduate student or graduate student? Right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Asian American well, you know, studies graduate student. Oh, yeah. Right, right. Um, yeah, uh, Jennifer, who's played by um, Smith Cho, is a very talented actor, and we were looking for somebody who could really make um, C Dub squirm. You know that she's very, you know, she's pretty. You know, she's poised and she's. Um, got a sense of humor, but she's also, uh, you know, we wanted to give her some sort of, um, you know, uh, interesting, like, uh, you know, mission, so she's an Asian American studies major, and I just think uh, it's funny because, you know, she doesn't want to fit all the Asian American stereotypes, you know, of women right. being, um, you know, a pretty, whatever, lotus blossom thing, but she is very pretty, so I just thought <laughs> that was a kind of funny thing. Yeah, and, it's, and she's studying, like, stereotypes, uh, how women are treated. <laughs> so that was an interesting interaction there. Yeah. 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 Did uh, Did you have to do many takes uh, for most for many of the scenes, or did um, Did they just come flow easily um, from the script? Well, we were lucky because since Jimmy, uh, we were writing the script together, and he is in every scene of just about, and I think he had like a half a day off the whole time. Um, but there was, of course, we knew already what the scenes, um, you know, what obviously what they were about and sort of generally what was, should be going on. And so in terms of Jimmy's work, um, we were pretty much where we needed to be when we started. And then sometimes we would just, um, you know, do a couple of takes where we'd try something different. But that part went very, very fast. And we really didn't rehearse at all, um, which is something that uh, – um, Hmm. I think That's that for comedy is is a little bit uh, it's a little dangerous to to rehearse a lot because sometimes yeah. you lose the you know whatever you discover in those those first few takes. So it's like you know even with Jimmy, like things that we knew we wanted to do, and then when we were shooting it, ah, you know it'd be great do it this way, or you know try this, or maybe you could be doing this, and that's that's the fun part. But it's nice if you can start right with, okay, we know what the scene is basically about, and then uh, anything else you find from there is usually the best part. You want to catch the spontaneity. I'm sorry? You want to catch the spontaneity. Yes, of the, yes of the, that's right. Yeah, and, you know, yeah. it's always fun to see, uh, like, especially when, you know, you, you're working with uh, um, actors like Peter Page and Scott Lowell, who play the uh, CW Nemesis in the film. And, you know, these guys, they were on Queer as Folk for, oh, uh, like, five years together, and they have just, they're very, they're such, you know, wonderful actors, and they're very, very, very funny, both in real life and and on screen, and they, you know, it was just it was just fun to see what they would do on the first take and, and try to, um, you know, see actors respond to that naturally. And uh, yeah, yeah, that was pretty funny. Yeah, his his character, uh, Peter Page's character. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's this, you know, he's also kind of, you know, picking up on the uh, the, the cute Asian American women, but he's he's so, uh, you know, wanting to be such a um, sort of a British gentleman that he, he's quite foppish, but anyway, he's, yeah. uh, he's <laughs> the, uh I like the, also the character of uh, pra, Prabak, Prabaka. Prabakar, yeah. yeah. Yes, yeah. Javan Reed. Uh, yeah. He, he was born in Calcutta, and he grew up in Seattle and Los Angeles, and he started at age five in theater. Uh, yeah. And it was kind of uh, poking fun at the stereotype of Indians as... Uh, as these science nerds, <laughs> well, you, know, you know what we um, we based uh, 
his character and his father's character on, um, you know, the movie Spellbound, the documentary, uh-huh, uh-huh. Spelling Bee. Yeah, there yeah. was a father and son in the film, and I just was so taken by um, the father's like just boundless optimism and just this sense of you know the world is your oyster, and and then you know the kid being so earnest and just you know there was no sort of. Uh, doubting whether the spelling bee was how you should be spending your life. <laughs> and so that was uh, really kind of the, the, the basis for that father-son relationship. And how did you find him? Also through, through casting. Uh, uh-huh. And he, um, you know, he's, he's an actor who's he's on Heroes. You know, he's, he's worked quite a bit. So, again, we were very lucky. The, uh, I really like the, also the other character, the sister, too, like uh, I said earlier. Um, yeah. And she uh, and she's was she also a, a veteran actress, actor. Yes, Smith actually. Uh, you know, she's done a lot of. Um, uh, let's see, she was on. Uh, she's on a show right now. She's done a lot of uh, TV work, and um, yeah, just you know, somebody who was very, um, you know, was seasoned and fun to work with, and uh, yeah. So yeah, Smith, Smith had been on, um, I think, uh, that show, Emily's Reasons Why Not, and she's on a few episodes of Entourage, and, um, yeah, she's actually on the new series Night Rider, which is coming out very, very soon, so yeah, if people enjoy her performance, hopefully they can catch her on that, too. Did, uh, how, how did you get uh, into, like, um, was it hard getting into uh, different theaters to show the film last Friday, or was, was well, is, is yeah. there a circuit now for... For Asian American kind of indie films, I know. I think I, you, yeah, yeah. I mean, the thing about it right now is it's kind of a it's a tough market for independent films in general. Um, we premiered at uh, the Toronto Film Festival, and it was great. I mean, we you know it's always big audiences, yeah. you know, very mixed audiences, and we had such a great reaction kind of across the board. And I think it really showed us that the film has a very mainstream appeal. You know, you don't have to have had the same upbringing we do, did to be able to get the jokes and to, to understand the characters. And um, so that was great. But um, then when we were talking with distributors, um, you know, so many people said, you know, we, we love this film, but, you know, it's, we don't know how to market it. Um, two things, you know, it's a, uh, it's a indie with an unknown as, as the lead. Sorry, Jimmy, I'm sure that will all change. But um, and then the <laughs> second thing is it's, it's an Asian-American cast largely, largely, and I think people see that, and I think, well, you know, that's just a movie for, you know, for Asians, and it, it's, and, uh, you know, obviously it's a, it's a, it's an American story, but, um, yeah. so those are the challenges, but, um, so working with IFC, we've tried to, um, you know, target several markets that we think, uh, you know, can help, um, if we get the word of mouth going and everything can help propel it to other cities and continue to run, so, you know, we're in, obviously, L.A. area, um, New York area, uh, the Bay Area, and then, you know, later this week in Seattle and in Houston. So, yeah, it's been a real, um, you know, push for everybody to get the word out. And the place is that audiences seem to be asking, you know, how do do we help get this film get out there? Do you have, like, a Facebook or um, whatever on uh, a space on the... Sure. Jimmy's got all those. Uh, Jimmy's all yeah, we're, we're on actually both MySpace and Facebook. Uh, Facebook has a ping pong player group. 
And um, well, of course, we have our regular website, pingpongplayer.com, that has the links to basically everything to, from Facebook to MySpace to a listing of the theaters that we'll, we'll be playing in. And yeah, it's been really, really encouraging because every time we've put this movie in front of an audience, you know, the response has been absolutely amazing. And so, you know, despite the fact that we don't have, you know, millions and millions of dollars to spend on marketing like a lot of these other studio films, you know, we really feel like we have the one thing that, you know, studios can't buy. And that's worth enough because it's free, but it's also the most powerful marketing tool that exists. Yeah, I think student groups also uh, uh, are very important in the word of mouth. Uh, yeah, campus groups. That's true. Yeah, that's true. I know. Um, <laughs> yeah. Better luck I mean, tomorrow. It, it yeah. Been, it would have been nice to have like some sort of you know campus tour or something. We just yeah. couldn't really pull that together with the release at the same time. But yeah, and yeah. also because it's schools just getting back in. But yeah, that's um, right. Yeah. yeah, like nothing's ever perfect. You just have to kind of go with what you have and then just try to make it work. But um, but again, like Jimmy said, you know the audiences have been great. I think with Better Luck Tomorrow, they did show up at UCI, and um, a bunch of the people, uh, like Sharon Dang was a student here before, and so, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, at UCI, and so, uh, you know, there was a lot of activity on campus, uh, and especially since the theater is just across the street, so a bunch of, um, I know historically a, a number of uh, independent films across the street have uh, had very big opening uh, openings. Uh, in Irvine, even <laughs> in Orange County, wow. if you can believe. Uh, yeah. So, but you know, now it's summer, so it's hard to know if you know the students are around or if, you know where they are. Right. Uh, right. Exactly. Yeah. The uh, yeah. What what have uh, do you did get a review in the New York Times? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And yeah. No, the reviews have been um, have been great. I mean, <clears throat> certainly from um, kind of the major publications. Uh, New York Times, LA Times, and uh, yeah, oh, so reporter variety. Yeah, we we've got some some great reviews from uh, major outlets. Yeah, I like the especially the review in uh, the local paper here, the Orange County Register. Uh, huh. Richard uh, Chang is uh, is uh, also had a show here on KUCI uh, oh. himself, and he's a reporter for the uh, Register, and so he writes their arts columns, and oh. uh, so. <laughs> So it's really good that he they actually did two articles uh on right. on the film. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I talked to Richard. Yeah, he was uh yeah, I didn't realize he was doing all that stuff, but um that's great. Yeah, he had a, sh- a show here earlier before, yeah. Okay. Do you find uh do you, do you find this with this film you want to do more in this area, uh, Jessica, or do you are you do you want to go back to doing uh documentaries? Well, you know, the funny thing is that I think people sort of perceive sometimes uh, that filmmakers make documentaries as a stepping stone to and, um, fictional films, but um, I like the idea of going back and forth and sort of doing whatever projects uh, appeal to me at the time, and not that we always have that kind of choice, but uh, I always am working on some, an undocumentary. Um, I do love documentaries, but then Jimmy and I are working on another comedy, very, very early stages of comedy, but... Uh, um, so you know, again, it's like it's it's a uh, it's kind of a uh, you know privilege if you have some choice in what you work on. So that's kind of what I'm aiming for is just to always have some sort of you know leeway not to get pigeonholed one way or the other. Is the style uh, similar to telling a story in both cases? I mean, it's narrative, right? Even with oh, a documentary, that's, like, very, that's a very good yeah. point. Yeah, no, it's it is always uh, you know that's that's where your focus needs to be on. Um, 
on the narrative, on the story, on the structure, you know, what, what do you need to know next, you know, how do you set up this, um, this next moment. So um, obviously the stories are different, but the idea of guiding people through uh, the journey of a story is, I think, it needs to be foremost in your mind. I will say that, I mean, a lot of people say this too, that comedy is just so much fun to do, and the only thing that you have to be careful of is that shooting a comedy can be so much fun when you're on set, things happen that make you laugh, and you have to remember that the way that it plays on uh, a screen is going to be different than when you're standing there in real life. So we try to be cautious and, you know, sort of um, check ourselves to make sure that uh, we weren't the only people who thought it was funny. <laughs> you know, we didn't want to be one of those. Oh, you had to be there kind of uh, situations. Did you sh show it to focus groups? <laughs> we actually. Well, you know, it's funny because I say, yeah, we checked ourselves. We did not show to focus groups. I mean, we had like a little informal, you know, test screening with some friends, and um, like you know, just showed a couple of things, just mainly to sort of see how it played. Uh, in terms of length and stuff, but I, I'm not a big fan of the focus group thing. I think sometimes people uh, feel like they're required to comment and required to mm -hmm. uh, take notes when they should just be watching it as a film and, and have a more natural reaction. But that's, you know, some people really believe in that stuff, but it's not really my thing. Uh, you, you won an Oscar for another film that you made. Um, did that change your life? Yeah, uh, let's see. Yeah, it was a, um, a documentary show yeah. called Breathing Lessons about um, the poet and journalist Mark O'Brien. Uh, yeah, actually, it's it's funny because it getting a big award like that, it, it did change um, my life in that I felt like uh, there were, I was sort of on, on the map in terms of people just knowing that I, I make, make films. But it's, it's a very strange thing because I think there's a perception that, you know, you get a big bag of money dropped on your doorstep the next, next day, and it's not really like that. You know, you might have a lot of meetings, but it's um, kind of up to you to figure out what you want to do next and, and how to work towards that, because this business, I mean, it's just, uh, it's just you know, tricky to continue to have a career sometimes, you know. Does it open more doors, though? It, it did, but well, again, it's like I had a lot of um, meetings for different things, but mm. it did take a while for it to turn into something else, because it depends on what you want to do. If you want to um, if you're next project, if you want to do something that's more ambitious or um, thematically, stylistically, totally different, um, people might not be willing to go with you in that direction. So, um, but yes, I mean, I, I'm, I know that it's the reason why, um, you know, like that opened the door for me to be able to, let's say, get into um, directing episodic TV and mm -hmm. these other places that have helped sustain my, my work, you know. Does, uh, is IFC, would you say IFC is similar to Sundance? And in terms of, I'm thinking of this channel, I guess, uh, the cable channels. Do they, well, they, they offer, I mean, what's the difference between them? Or do you well, see? IFC, actually, we're, we're dealing with the, their distribution arms. So oh, I see, okay. Um, yeah, it's just, a, the, you know, they, they have um, IFC in theaters. It's a, um, their distribution company. So uh, we're just dealing with them in the strictly theatrical realm. But yes, they even in that, they have a very strong um, support of uh, independent films and um, art house films. And so this is probably a little, it's definitely more of a mainstream kind of film than what they usually handle. At the same time, it's probably perceived a little bit um, more, not art housey, but, you know, because of the, the reasons that we've been talking about. Yeah, yeah. Because it's a, it is still an independent film. 
That's right, yeah. And again, you know, the Asian-American cast and everything. Is, uh, do you see, uh, Roger, I think I saw you on some uh, Q&A thing, uh, both of you, actually, after the San Francisco uh, Film Festival. I mean, I saw it on YouTube. <laughs> and uh, and uh, there, there were questions about uh, about um, this, uh, uh, Jimmy, I mean, uh, did, did how did... How does this open up anything for? Do you see this film as, as uh, in the same progression as uh, other films um, that have been done recently on Asian Americans uh, or by Asian Americans? Does it open up more doors? Uh, or does it you know, um, change the I mean, scene? Yeah, I, I think that you know it's definitely a, a, a right step in terms of the evolution of I guess the subgenre of Asian American cinema because that was definitely one of the sort of you know conscientious things we were doing from the beginning, which was you know Jessica and I you know have obviously and, and Joan our producer had you know obviously seen a lot of Asian American movies and you know there's this tendency in the last decade or so um, to make these sort of very you know heavy-handed, seriously themed um, identity crisis you know driven movies. Um, and, you know, there are definitely some that are very good, um, but at the same time, you know, that seemed to be the, the, the overwhelming majority of movies, of Asian-American movies, were about that. And, you know, I think it's gotten to the point where, you know, you know Asian-Americans, you know, want to see more. It's like the only way that that, you know, subgenre of cinema can, can evolve is that if you get more different types of Asian American films, you know, not just dramas, but also, you know, comedies and thriller and horror and things like that. And so, you know, that was definitely something that we, we were very, very conscientious about. And, um, but in terms of, you know, opening, you know, doors and stuff like that, you know, I, I certainly hope it does. I mean, you know, there are, you know, other movies like, you know, Harold and Kumar, which I think was a great step, yeah. um, you know, in terms of the direction for, to show that, you know, hey, you can have two Asian-American leads in a comedy and have it be really successful. Um, you know, I mean, I, I definitely have hopes, but, you know, also just being realistic and having been involved with Better Luck Tomorrow, you know, uh, I don't have any delusions of grandeur because, you know, the, the reality of it is that, you know, despite these, you know, you know, steps of progression, you know, it, it still is very, very difficult, especially for Asian-American actors, um, you know, because the, the opportunities are so few and far between, and, you know, it's, you know, Hollywood still isn't representative of the rest of the country yet in terms of, you know, the diversity uh, and, the, you know, cultural awareness, so, you know, I, I mean, and acting wasn't necessarily my primary aspiration to begin <laughs> with, um, <laughs> and then, you know, so, so you know, I mean, yeah, I, I always have hope that, that it will hopefully, you know, kind of knock down doors, but you know what? I mean, we'll have to see what happens because, you know, I won't believe it until I see it, I guess. <laughs> Do you want to continue acting? Uh, you know, I think I, I would certainly be foolish if opportunities came up and I didn't take them seriously. So, you know, I would definitely, you know, consider them if, if they did arise. But again, just because I've been in the industry for a while and because I do have, like, you know, many friends who are yeah, yeah. Asian-American actors and I know how difficult it is like, sure. for them, you know, I, again, like, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to cry myself to sleep if, you know, <laughs> if no opportunities, uh-huh. you know, come up. So. How about yeah, the... Yeah. I think Jimmy's yeah. unusual that way because, you know, he definitely right. can do it, but... Um, you know, I think, again, like you said, because he's seen, you know, what can happen or not happen. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. it's like, I think it was more like, hey, you know, let's, let's ride this and see how it goes and, and have a good time and try to make a good film. But um, he really, I mean, he's, if you see the film, it's like he's a natural. Like you would not think that this was his first, you know, first role. How would you think this film would um, be received abroad in, say, in Asia? Would um, 
because uh, I've given papers on Asian American stuff in like uh, Malaysia, and it's hard to, you know, because when you go abroad, they don't think of you as Asian American; they think of you as Chinese or as Japanese or as you know whatever. Uh, your ethnicity becomes more important than this kind of Pan Asian thing, and uh, it's. Right. I'm not sure. How, how do you think it would be received abroad? Well, you know, some, some people have come up and said, you know, this is great because, uh, like in China, you know, people are obsessed with ping pong, sure, certainly, but also with um, with basketball, you know, as we saw at the Olympics. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, but it, it's interesting because I'm not sure. Some people said, oh, yeah, you know, you've got it, it'll be huge there and everything. I, I think it's, well, for one thing, it's hard to, if you're talking about, like, mainland China, it's hard to um, traditionally uh, distribute a film there, but... I think that uh, I would just love to know. I would love it to, to see the, that experiment, you know, with a uh, kind of a big, regular crowd there, and just see what yeah. the response was. But I, I, you know, so we, we're sort of hoping we get some opportunity to see that at some point. There, there is a manga. Have you heard of the manga? Um, is it anime or manga uh, yeah. called Ping Pong in Japan? Uh, it's available as a DVD, actually. Huh. And it's also, I just, you know, when I was Googling your film <laughs> last night or two nights ago, uh, I came across this this film, uh, huh. a Japanese, uh, it became a film uh, called Ping Pong. Yeah, yeah, I didn't see it, but we, we uh, I think Jimmy saw it, but we didn't, uh, um, yeah, when we were aware that it's out there, but it's actually more uh, a serious film, I yeah. guess. So, yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, we had, um, you know, when when Joan had mentioned the ping pong idea, we had, you know, kind of looked into that, and yeah, there was. Uh, we I seen like half of the the film, but uh, you know, it seemed like this, you know, um, area that was really ripe for a lot of comedy. But yeah, I mean, that that movie is a lot more serious and dramatic than it appears to be. At least, you know, if you look at the surface of it and what it's supposed to be about. It's and about so friendships, right? About comradeship and. Oh, yeah, exactly, yeah. and it's, you know, it's not as, you know, it's not as funny as we thought it was going to be, <laughs> and so that's when we realized, oh, you know what, this this area still is right, it's done in the correct way, you know, to do something like a comedy in the world of ping pong, um, and, you know, the other thing, too, is that, you know, we just realized that, you know, that's one of the ways we try to hedge our bets as far as, you know, making it uh, as accessible to a universal uh, audience as possible, even though, you know, certainly there are a lot of, you know, cultural issues um, within the script, yeah, but, yeah. you know, because ping pong is such a universal sport and the fact that it is a family comedy as well you know we're hoping oh yeah you know what despite the cultural things that's what could make it very accessible to you know people in Asia and Europe and South America and and things like that but you know traditionally yeah Asian American films don't tend to translate over to Asia just because you know they're so used to seeing Asian faces speaking Chinese or Japanese or or Korean Um, and when they see people speaking English they want to see you know Western faces speaking English, so it, it definitely is a challenge, but um, but yeah, we'll, we'll see. The, the, the book hasn't been written on it yet. So. Do you see, I know some of the actors uh, have gone gone to Asia to, I mean, some Asian American actors have gone to Asia to, to work, uh, uh, like uh, Jason Tobin uh, mm-hmm. went, to, went to Hong Kong, and yeah. uh, how, how do you think that, uh, that transition works? Do you think... Uh, 
Yeah, that, that's an interesting phenomenon. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely a number of um, both uh, Asian Americans as well as Asian Canadians, actually, yeah. um, that have gone back to, you know, the industry uh, in Hong Kong and started as an actors. Actually, you know, um, I, I'm friends with, uh, like, a lot of guys that know, like, Dan Wu, you know, for example, and yeah. Dan is, you know, he's huge in, in Hong Kong. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I mean, you know, it, it's been happening, though, since, you know, like, Bruce Lee, you know, did the same thing, too. You know, initially he couldn't, you know, get off the ground here in America, and then he went back right. to Hong Kong and, you know, people were showing him love there, and then eventually he came back to the States. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know. I think it, it is one of the things where, you know, it's, it's possible. And, you know, because in places like Hong Kong and Taiwan, it's, they, they almost have an, an attraction to, you know, I guess like, you know, Western-born Asians or something like that. There's something, you know, they, they look up to or, you know, they, they, they like things that are, like, from America, you know. And so, I don't know, maybe they have a, a foot up. Because, you know, in a sense, oh, all of a sudden the Asian Americans become sort of the, the quote-unquote, like, exotic, you know, item or, or personal or whatever. Um, and, and then, you know, but I don't know. You know, I think some of them, you know, harbor intentions to try to come back to America, but others probably, you know, are just as well off and, and really enjoyed it in Hong Kong because they don't have to have the same type of struggles that, you know, Asian-American ha actors have here in America. And, you know, the thing that's making it more interesting now is that, um, you know, studios are in this whole, you know, international game and in international space, and it's becoming some t in some ways even tougher for Asian-American actors because studios are, you know, essentially importing actors who have already made a name for themselves uh, internationally, you know, like, you know, the Jackie Chans and Jet Lees and Charlie mm -hmm. Fats of the world. Um, and they've already got a lot of international credibility. And so, you know, um, you know I mean, a, a recent examples like, um, you know, this guy from Korea who is, who is, you know, huge, obviously, in Asia. Mm -hmm. yeah. But, you know, a lot of people in America don't necessarily know who he is. But, you know, because of the whole studio, um, corporate game, they're like, oh, you know what, Rain already has a huge audience. You yeah, know, let's yeah. just plug him in a role, despite the fact that I, I'm not sure how his English is. But, you know, you know they're, they're basically plugging him into a role that could be very easily occupied by an Asian-American of similar or greater talent. But they're not going to ever get that shot because, oh, Rain is already big in Korea. So we'll plug him in just for monetary purposes. <laughs> yeah, it's the effect of globalization. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And, you know, that, that's one of the reasons why it's, you know, becoming hard for independent film is because, you know, studios, because they've been so corporatized, yeah. you know, they want to play it very safe. They want to be able to plug in numbers. So, you know, that means having an actor who's already well-established. You know, they don't want to take risks. And, you know, independent cinema, it, you know, is essentially defined by, by taking chances and taking risks, you know, and they don't want to do that. And so, you know, yeah, that's why it's more difficult nowadays. Uh, they, uh, people argue, I mean, the mainstream media, they say, it, because of Michael Moore, that it opened up, um, you know, the audiences to independent film. Do you think that's true? Jessica, <laughs> you know, I'm not a very good analyst of the business. Um, yeah. I mean, but uh, you know, he that was a, that was a huge thing, certainly for documentaries. Yeah, yeah. Um, and of course, you know, everyone says, "Oh, well, if everyone overreacted, and then there's too many films out there, and that's why documentaries aren't doing it so as well." But uh, I, you know, I don't know. It's like I think when you're working on a film, too, you can't um, worry too much about what's happening at the moment or uh, worry too much about the market. I mean, you don't want to be stupid about things, but it's, I think it just doesn't necessarily help. It's best if you, you know, come up with something that, um, you know, you're able to get the money for, but then you're doing it in a way that just makes it the way that you want it to be. 
um, and then hopefully things will kind of take care of itself. So, I know uh, Justin and other people maxed out their credit cards, right, to do their first films, and uh, you didn't have to do that. No, um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's exactly. I mean, with you know Cherry Sky Films, it was um, you know, equity financing, and uh, you know, well, was, there's no way we could have made this film with this cast um, any other way. I mean. I think I, I just think we were so lucky to be able to say, well, you know, we're going to make this production ca- accountant our star. You know, we're going to keep, <laughs> we're going to have the characters speak English and speak Chinese when it's appropriate. Yeah. You know, we're going to, and, and those kinds of choices you, you can lose control of if you have a bigger budget and you have money coming from different places. So even though it's always a struggle to make a low-budget film, I, I would take that any day of the week over having other, um, you know, parties you know, come in and tell you what you, what, you know, how you should do things if it's a real labor of love, which, which this definitely was. Do you think it's true that Americans don't like uh, subtitled films? <laughs> well, you know, oh, yeah. the, the funny thing about the subtitles, though, is like not that much reading. For <laughs> you know, I mean, it, and then, and then uh, but I don't know, it's probably one of those conventional wisdom things that maybe uh-huh. is changing. But like in commercials sometimes, you watch TV, like, they'll, there'll be commercials that have subtitles um, yeah. you know, for different reasons. So, you know, I think we need to give people a little more credit. I would just yeah, say, I think, yeah. you know, that, that is totally, a, you know, a, a, a studio kind of, not in, it, not a total invention, but, yeah, uh-huh. I think they, they kind of disrespect a lot of the audiences in, in, in assuming that people don't want to read the subtitles. And, you know, one of the things that, you know, that had always bothered us about, you know, subtitling and, and specifically, you know, subtitling or, or having, you know, um, movies that take place in foreign lands and people speaking English is, you know, we wanted to keep it real as far as, like Jessica was saying, you know, if you watch the movie, you see a lot of uh, realism in the way that first-generation parents talk to their kids and the way that the kids talk back. Um, You know, one of the things that that it always, you know, kind of bothered us is that, okay, you know, like studios really should, you know, make a decision and then do it one way completely or do it another way completely, but they always kind of settle for the the middle of the road. And as we all know through the wisdom of Karate Kid, you know, you either walk left side of the road or you walk right side of the road. You walk in the middle, just like Drake, right? <laughs> but um, but it, as that pertains to subtitles and, you know, foreign language films, um, you know, like studios, it's like, it's like they should either just make the movie in foreign language, right, and subtitle it, right, because that's, you know, that would be natural to the story. Okay. Or if they're going to get rid of the pretense that these people, you know, let's say, for example, in China, you know, that they, they're going to get rid of the pretense that they don't speak Chinese, they actually speak English, then they should just speak English. You know, what's the necessity behind speaking Chinese accented English, you know? Like, that never really made sense to me. And, you know, furthermore, like, you know, there are, there are films that, you know, uh, again, this, this is a, a true pet peeve of mine, but where in a movie, you know, you have, like, the first five or ten minutes, like, everyone's speaking in, you know, something like Japanese or Chinese, right? And then all of a sudden, ten minutes in, in the movie, everyone magically starts speaking English. <laughs> <laughs> I always thought that was quite ridiculous, and so we definitely wanted to stay away from that. Yeah, no, I like the fact that you had these parents speaking um, Chinese, and, uh, I mean, it lent an air of authenticity to the film. And, well, I think, uh, yeah. yeah, it's also powerful because there are, um, you know, scenes where it's, uh, then all of a sudden one person will start, to, like the father will say something in English, yeah. or C-Dub will respond in Chinese, and it has some weight to it you know there's some reason why they're sort of 
you know, speaking, literally speaking each other's language at the moment. And, you know, it's, it's subtle. We don't want to hit anybody over the head with it. But, um, but it's, I think it's accurate to, to the way that a lot of uh, bilingual families um, operate. And the fact that the father and the parents talk about him when they think he's listening to his iPod <laughs> is pretty cool. <laughs> I thought that was very nice. Nice touch there. Thanks. Uh, so um, do you feel that, uh, what do you feel you have accomplished with this film? Oh, gosh. Uh, well, I mean, you know, really, like, we we, we were talking about, you know, how uh, in Asian-American film there seems to be a gaping need for superficial comedy. And we would say that sort of, you know, tongue-in-cheek, like this film was doing a public service. But I really think that um, the number one thing for me is just uh, audiences enjoying it and not thinking, wow, it's an Asian-American film that, you know, it's doing this or that. It's really, it's wonderful when people just get into the characters and accept them and um, and uh, get invested in them and then just, you know, laugh. I mean, that's that's the biggest thing. I like the fact it was all a diverse uh, uh, group of people in this, uh, you know, learning table tennis and stuff. That it was yeah. all different ethnicities because sometimes Asian American films tend to stick to one ethnicity. Uh, that's 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 right. Yeah, I think you know here. There's kind of a actually, if you see the film, you know, there's this, definitely a theme in there of kind of of um, somebody sort of wanting to be something other than what they are. So it's not just you know C Dub and his issues. <laughs> it's um, very there's you know he's got um, you know his friend who yeah trying to learn Chinese and uh, <laughs> you know there's there's even even the the, the um, pseudo British uh, enemy guys um, or nemeses I should say. You know they they've got the uh, obviously, aspirations to be something else. So, um, so anyway, in that way, it wasn't just like an Asian American theme. It's like this idea of um, you know, how what your what your vision of, is of what you should be and where you are, you know, and how you can face up to that. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Which actually just made it sound like it was a film with issues, but it really isn't. <laughs> it's not a after after whatever afternoon issues after film. School after school special. <laughs> no, 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 definitely not. Uh, not that serious. <laughs> right, no, 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 not at all. Not serious at all. Uh-huh. Oh, thank you very much. It's actually we're up to 10 o'clock at the end of our hour. Uh, yeah, thanks. And um, you can, uh, we'll put this uh, this uh, audio online and <laughs> so your friends can listen to it uh, okay. later. Uh, Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, okay, Jessica thank you. and Jimmy. Yeah, this okay. is Dan Sung signing off for Subversity here on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. Thanks for listening. Thank you. Thank bye you. Bye-bye. Okay, bye-bye. Uh, this is Dan Sung. The opinions expressed on the show are not necessarily those of the regents of the University of California nor the management of KUCI. This is KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine.